Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. Today's guest is Ozzy White. Ozzy is someone that's been supportive of me since the beginning, and it's, I'm definitely very grateful to have someone like him in my corner. Today, we spend some time talking about his adventures all over the world. He's had the opportunity to travel to numerous different places to play, coach, and recruit. We don't hear all of his stories, as I am sure he could talk for hours about them, but we do hear a little bit about some of the adventures he's gone on. We also spend some time talking about mini pitches. He currently has two mini pitches in his community, and I have one in my community. community. We kind of talk about the importance the mini pitch does have in the community and how it can really grow the game, but also how it can grow individual players. It can grow their skill and their communication and all of the aspects of it, which I really enjoy. This episode is being released on the week of United Soccer Coaches Convention 2022, and I am very excited to say the least. I have many different episodes that are scheduled to be recorded, and I cannot wait to get those out to you. Uh, Stay tuned on Twitter and all social medias, and I'll keep you updated throughout the week. Enjoy the episode. Today's guest is Ozzy White. Ozzy grew up in Australia and had the opportunity to travel around the world as a player and coach. He's experienced at different le- all different levels of the game. Ozzy has been the head woman's coach at Graceland for almost seven years now. He holds his U.S. Soccer A license and NSCAA Master Coach Diploma. Ozzy, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything else or talk about what got you to where you are today. Well, first of all, good morning and thank you for the opportunity to speak with you, Anna. You, you know, you're a young lady who is progressing in the game, is progressing in life, and uh, you take on all of these other challenges. Uh, so I've admired you from afar from a, for a long time, and uh, we've been buddies for a few years now. <laughs> so I'm really happy to be on your podcast and join you in this conversation. And I think you possess some of the qualities that have enabled me to go through my life, and, and that is a deep passion for what I like to do. And football is a part of my life. I grew up playing the game. I was fortunate enough to become a professional for a few years uh, and then fortunate enough to stay in the game and travel the world as a player and as a coach. Uh, And now I'm fortunate enough to be a head women's college soccer coach at Graceland University. It's been uh, a journey full of diversity. Uh, It has involved coaching professional players. It has involved coaching players as young as three and four. Uh, It has involved being a director of coaching at large clubs and helping players achieve their dream of playing college soccer. And then the other side of that is I I now am a head college soccer coach, so I'm seeing the other perspective, which is recruiting um, the players that I used to promote. So all different facets of the game, from the youth game to the college game to the professional game, I think have stood me in good stead in terms of being an experienced person who can help people through college life. I have different perspectives on you need a three-dimensional college life. You need to experience college life. You need to experience campus and residential life versus just study soccer, study soccer. So I think 
my experiences around the world have also made me very aware of diversity. And if you look at our roster at Graceland University, we're one of the most diverse rosters that I think I've seen uh, in the Midwest. We, we love to bring players in from all over the country. We love to bring players in from all over the world because I'm a big believer in you learn in the classroom, you learn on the pitch, but most of all, you learn from the people who you surround yourself with and that's your teammates. On this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. First, what does the beautiful game mean to you? It's just beautiful in all forms. Um, whether it's the innocent three, four, five-year-old who just takes a ball out into the street and plays with his or her friends, whether it's at the golden learning years where you learn to ride a bicycle, you learn to juggle a ball, you learn to do a few tricks, whether it's uh, the teenage years where maybe you get a little more serious about the game or not, you just love it. Whether you go on to play college soccer or to become a professional, that passion and the love for the game should never leave you. Because when we, when we start out with doing things, we use the word fundamentals. And fundamental starts out with F-U-N, which is fun. And if we ever lose track of what makes us love the beautiful game, then we're not having fun anymore. So I'm a firm believer that, yes, we need the fundamentals, but we also need to keep whatever we do competitive, but fun at the same time. And that for me, I watch football on a daily basis. I dream about the game. I still have ambitions within the game. Uh, so for me, it's captured my life. Uh, that's why for me, the definition of the beautiful game is is what I'm trying to do with, with my life and what you're trying to do with your life and what a lot of like-minded people that we know who enjoy the game, they're all obsessed by it. So there's got to be something beautiful about that. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? I take it seriously, but at the same time, I love it, so I have fun with it. And I, I am competitive. I want to win soccer games, but I'm also a realist. And in the position that I'm in and the school that I'm at, it's far more important for us to develop really good people because you can be a soccer player for a short period of time in your life, but you need to be the best person that you can for the rest of your life. So I bring that realism to my program and to the players that I interact with that sure you should take things seriously and you should work as hard as you possibly can. And, you know, we have a, we have a little thing in our program where when you get up in the morning, you should make your bed because that's your first achievement of the day. And if you bring little fun edicts to your life like that and good habits, then you are going to not only be a good student and a good soccer player, but most importantly, you're going to become a good person. So for me, adding all of these little fundamentals and tricks and realities that I've learned in my travels and over the course of my life, I love to impart some of those knowledges to the younger players so that maybe they can find a few niches and clicks that they like to bring into their life so that as they continue their experiences, they may not thank me today, Anna, but they may thank me some other day for some of the things I try and 
ask them to do. So life is full of twists and turns and changes. Uh, you've got to roll with the punches, but you've got to have a few steadfast rules in place. Uh, and, I, and I think that integrity and honesty and credibility uh, are all some of those things that you need to, to have on a daily basis. And you need some good habits. You need to sleep well. You need to eat well. You need to hydrate. You need to take care of yourself. Uh, and above all, you need to stay in love with the beautiful game and you need to have a laugh. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? I think uh, when I'm talking about the game, hopefully even now on this podcast, you, you can feel the passion that I have for the game and the love for the game. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting currently with palm trees behind me and I'm, the game has been very good to me in terms of I've been all over the world. I've had fantastic experiences. I've met a number of great people who sometimes have been a teammate and sometimes have been a mate for life. And it's all through the game. And, uh, you know, I'm traveling to California now in, in the midst of a, an Iowa cold tundra winter. Um, and the game has brought me here. So there's lots of great positives I can take from the game that, that just keep it beautiful for me. And when I speak about those experiences and some of those stories, uh, hopefully it instills the same passion in other people. How did you first find your passion for the game? Wow. Well, I was born in England, so I think that that's a gene that you're born with. Um, my, my dad was very passionate. Um, my dad played as an amateur player in England. We emigrated to Australia in 1975. I was uh, an almost 10-year-old who didn't want to leave England and went to Australia as a not very happy young man, but, but fell in love with Australia because Australia gave us as a family many more opportunities than perhaps England would have at the time. And my father went on to, to become a very successful coach uh, with the Australian national team, with the Australian Olympic team. Uh, he became a, an instructor for FIFA uh, around the world. So I, I, I really grew up at the top level of the game with my dad coaching and, and having conversations with some of the greatest players around the world. And of course, when you are 11 and 12 and 13 and 14, and you're speaking with, with some of the greatest names that the game has ever seen, and they tell you stories, then that fills you with an ambition and a passion and a love for, for me to go on and try and do some of those things. What made you really want to take your playing game to the next level? Uh, I always dreamed, you know, I used to, when I was young, I would take the ball to bed with me. The, the, the ball was my best friend. Uh, I would walk to school and, and juggle the ball. Um, you know, some people would joke, oh, I suppose you had to walk uphill both ways in the snow and all of that thing. But, but it was a reality back, back in those days that I, I did dribble the ball to school and juggle the ball to school. And whenever the bell went for playtime, it's all I did is I kicked the ball. So my dream was always to become the best that I could, um, to try and play on the, the best stage, the biggest stage that I could. Um, I achieved some of that. I didn't achieve all of that. Um, but I'm lucky to have been able to stay in the game and do the next best thing, which is coaching. 
Why is setting ambitions or dreams so important for you? Um, I, th I think you have to set some of those goals in order to keep you on track, but you also have to roll with the punches. Uh, life, as we know, in the last two years has, has thrown many curveballs at us through a pandemic. And I admire young people today who have stuck with their studies and stuck with trying to play soccer in, a, in such a difficult time. It would be very easy to give these things up and take on other habits, such as watching too much TV. But many of the young people that I'm aware of are sticking to their habits because they have that dream of becoming the best they can. Now, some people might want to be a lawyer or a doctor, but along the, along the way, part of that journey is, is playing soccer for as long as they can. And, you know, in our program, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that all of the people in our program will graduate and go on to become whatever it is they want in their career, but have fond memories of the game and, and still, you know, in their thirties and forties and fifties, still be able to kick a ball around with their children or their relatives or their friends. What can you as a coach do to help athletes possibly break bad habits that they've developed? I think set standards. And I think not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And if I'm going to set certain standards, then I need to live by those standards. And I need to ask the players to, to not do anything that I'm not prepared to do in terms of uh, working hard or creating good habits or having a nice lifestyle or being kind to other people or just, just being respectful of our, of our fellow, fellow people and our peers. You talked about developing people, not just players. What are some of the things that you do to help develop them into good people? I think setting a culture where uh, people can come in and see examples of what it is to be a good person, what it is to be kind to other people, what it is to give back, what it is to be a little philanthropic, helping those who are less fortunate than, than you are. Um, for example, our players will put free clinics on for the local children in, in the area where our campus is. And I think that's an early lesson for teenagers to just understand that not everybody is in the position that they are on scholarship, studying and playing soccer. So how about giving some of your time uh, and smiling at people? Smiling is free. And just being kind to, to young people to instill in them some of the passion that maybe our players have to go on and be as good as they can. So really creating a culture, setting standards, and asking people to live up to those things. Not being afraid to call them out when they don't live up to those things, but also being realistic that the young people in our program are also on a journey themselves. Uh, and, you know, college is both guided discovery and also just discovery. How do you help players determine what they may want if they're not sure? Uh, I think one of my jobs is when a player comes to me and says, I want to be this person. Um, uh, my job is to, is to help plan for them 
working backwards from what they think the end result is. But then I always throw in, have you thought about option A, B, C, D? It's a little bit like coaching players. You know, if you're playing out from the back, there are more than one or two ways to play out from the back. So there are more than one or two ways to become a lawyer. There are more than one or two ways to, in the end, be be a physical therapist. You know, do you need to do pre-med or can you do an allied health course and then go on to a graduate school and do physical therapy? I mean, these are some of the conversations that we have all the time academically because it's a proven fact that college students will change their major maybe two or three times during the course of college. Uh, it, can we keep them on track to graduate? And it's also a proven fact that a lot of people graduate with certain degrees and don't use those degrees in their career per se, but they use all of the qualities that they learned achieving that degree in their career, the subtle differences. So I think it's my job to keep throwing different curveballs at people to make sure that they understand and explore all of the options available. If a high school athlete is wanting to play collegiately, but they're not sure what they want to major in or do, what should they start with? Well, everybody's going to start with uh, essential education for the first two years. So my advice during those two years is dip your toe in lots of different areas so that you start to figure out what it is you like to do. So if, if, for example, you think that you want to become a physical therapist, but in the first two years you're, you're not very good at or you don't like chemistry and biology, then maybe that's a conversation about achieving something else other than physical therapy. So it's okay also to go to, to go to college undecided and start to figure things out as you go. I know grades are something that are also very important to you. How do you help your athletes manage their grades? There's a few things we do. And I think that the first one is talk about a little bit of internal motivation because at the end of the day, the student athlete has to do the work. The student athlete has to get out of bed. The student athlete has to go to class. The student athlete has to turn in the homework. But we put some things in place uh, such as tutoring, such as mentoring, uh, such as uh, having a person who is an upperclassman uh, take charge of a freshman and lead them through the first semester, for example, uh, show them where the classroom is, introduce them to the right professors, just really put them on the right track from the word go so that they're not chasing themselves and they're always ahead of the game. Being proactive is a big thing for us. You know, we spend some time on the road. We miss classes. So encouraging students to go to professors proactively prior to travel and saying, what is the work that we're going to be doing next Tuesday because I'll be missing versus arriving on the Wednesday and saying, what did I miss? Can I catch up? So being proactive is a big part of it. And then we also have a study hall where we, we track and monitor the hours of the study hall and during that study hall, we have professors and tutors who are available and our students uh, need to do that. New students and students below a 3.0 have a mandatory six hour 
study hall to complete with tutors and professors. We found since we implemented that program uh, that we have improved the bottom end of our GPA people. So those people under the 3.0 are improving and achieving better results. And our new students are not dropping under the 3.0 because they are getting the help from day one versus having to catch up in the second part of the semester. What's the best way that an, a teammate can help support their teammate that may be struggling with their grades or just time management in general? I think just being a good teammate. Um, there are many ways that, that a teammate can help another person. And do they need emotional support? Um, do they need to kick up the backside? Do they need an arm around them? Uh, do they do they actually need somebody to go and help them get up in the mornings and, and help them go to breakfast and go to class? Do they just need some direction? Do they, do they just need some emotional support, just to chat occasionally, go for coffee? Um, so I think that, that teammates just need to be good teammates. And part of that is recognizing and making good decisions. You know, if you're playing a pass to somebody in midfield and there is a, a defender on a certain side, you'd play the pass to the other side where there's space versus pressure. That's perception. That's IQ. So what I would ask our teammates to do is use that perception and use that IQ in the locker room, in the classroom, socially, to try and find out where the best place is to play the pass and help their teammate versus put them under a little bit more pressure because the defender's on that side. So I used the beautiful game in my analogies of life too. It's obvious that culture is something that is very important on your team. Have you ever had a season where your level of culture goes down throughout the season or maybe rises as well? Yes, we've had both. Um, the pandemic has been a challenge. That's for sure. The mental health <clears throat> of everybody, professors, coaches, players, students, has been challenged in, in the last few years. Um, we, we have also experienced players that maybe haven't bought into our culture, uh, who have tried to disrupt our culture. Um, so we, there's only a certain amount of things and time and work and effort you can put into some of those people. Uh, but in the seven years I've been at Graceland, I've only ever had to ask one person, should I find you a different place? because clearly it doesn't work for you here. Um, so I'm pleased that we, you know, our, our record is good. Our retention rate is in the 90 percentiles. Uh, our graduation rate is fantastic. So we've, we've achieved really good things in terms of our culture, but there are other things that come into play and the pandemic has been one where we've, we've had to create a bubble, uh, which affects people socially. We've had to impose more restrictions, more rules, which doesn't suit everybody. Uh, but then we've had other moments where even during the pandemic, we've had players say playing soccer and getting good grades means this much to us that we'll, we'll honour what restrictions and rules are put in place and we'll do our best. Because let's face it, a college season from August to November, it's not that much of a sacrifice out of your life. Uh, to follow the rules and do the right thing and train hard and, and be a good teammate. 
right now you're sitting in front of palm trees and the sun and everything. You've obviously gotten to travel all over because of this sport. Do you have a certain place you have enjoyed the most? Wow. That's tough because um, I've been very lucky. I've been to over 80 countries in the world uh, and I've watched soccer in most of those countries, uh, whether it's on a primitive level on a beach or whether it's in some of the world's largest stadiums. And I enjoy all of that. Um, I'm in California right now, so it's a great place to be other than Iowa for the winter. Um, I love lots of places in the United States. I've recently spent uh, some time in London and spent some time at a Premier League club. Uh, and the month before that, I was in Berlin in Germany. So just in the last three months, I've been able to travel even during the pandemic a little bit. And it's all because of soccer and it's all because of the job that I have. Um, you know, I lived in Australia for a number of years. My family still live there. That's clearly one of my favorite countries. Um, I played in Portugal for a little while. I love Portugal. I love Scandinavia. Um, there are many places in the world that I would recommend to people. And I think, I think if I didn't do this, maybe my second career should be as a travel agent. Why do you think travel is so important, either in the U.S. or abroad for both players and coaches? Diversity. I think experiencing other languages, other cultures, other food, other religions makes us all tolerant uh, as a person and tolerant for other people and their beliefs and needs in life. And if, if there's something the world really needs right now, it's more tolerance of, of others, more respect of others, and uh, just a friendlier outlook. And I think travel has opened my eyes to all of those things. And I, I love being able to recount stories of, hey, when I was in such and such, because I think the people that I'm telling the stories to, they can either relate to it or they can learn from it or they can aspire to do some of those things. You talked about having a very diverse team. Have you seen your players learn from your diverse team? Every day. Every day. So we have, uh, we have Japanese players who will make sushi for the players. We have South American players who will um, talk about the, the tea culture where they, they drink from a different teapot than we have. Uh, we have a, a Greek player right now who is endeavoring to, to speak Spanish as quickly as she can. Um, we have, we just, just having players from all over the world allows us to have different conversations on a daily basis in the locker room, in the classroom, socially. Um, we do have uh, an international club at Graceland University. And that's represented by about 48 different countries. So we have an international talent show where they, they dress in national costumes. We have another night where they make food from their own countries. So not only are our players educating each other within our program, they're also educating students across campus. Uh, and I think that, that that's great that we can just add to the diversity of not only our team, but of our community. 
Before we move on, do you have a favorite tip or phrase that I should know before going to Australia and New Zealand for the Women's World Cup coming up? I think the Australia and New Zealand Women's World Cup is going to be a fantastic event. Um, I hope the distance to go there is not going to put Americans and Europeans off from traveling there. Because I think that when people visit Australia and experience Australia and New Zealand, they come back with a wow factor. So I would say the phrase or the term that you want to be able to use when you go there is no worries, mate. And what I mean by that is go with the flow, experience the hospitality, do as much as you possibly can. Don't just go to games experience the culture, experience the food, experience the traditions, because it's unlike nothing else on, on earth. When you go to Australia and you go to New Zealand, you're in a different part of the world that is different and has a lot to offer. So go enjoy, flourish and, and take in the event and take in the great football that we're all going to see. And I hope to see you there, Anna. Hopefully. <laughs> Let's talk about the mini pitch in your community for a little bit now. Can you talk about the impact that you have seen? So Kick It Forward is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that was founded in 2012. Uh, Matthew Sahag is its president, and I've been involved since day one. And we started out uh, helping helping students in Central America, notably in, in Belize. And we took some equipment down to uh, Belize and, and threw some soccer balls out to some kids in the jungle who just love the game. Um, we helped build a classroom. We did some uh, breast cancer awareness um, training in Nicaragua. And then we started to think about, it's fantastic that we're helping people in Central America, but we have just as much need and just as many people under our noses here in Des Moines and in Iowa who are living in underserved communities and need more opportunity. So Kick It Forward has now evolved uh, and has partnered a fantastic partnership with Moscow Lighting and the Pro-Iowa organization. And we have built, uh, now we're up to 16 mini pitches in the state of Iowa. And the mini pitch is, if you like, a kit futsal pitch that is floodlits, fully contained, uh, typically the size of a basketball or a tennis court. court. Um, and our project has really taken off. The benefits, when you drop one of these mini pitch systems into a community, that especially a community that is starving for opportunities to play sports and play soccer uh, and you make that facility free of charge to the community we have seen a fantastic response from children adults boys girls men women uh, people just show up and, and they want to play the tradition around the world south america africa all of these different nations europeans is people grew up just taking a ball onto the streets and playing. We, we've lost that culture a little bit in the USA. 
um, where we've got the, the pay-to-play model and we've got supervised activities for children. Well, the futsal system does away with all of those things and says, hey, just show up. All you need is a ball and a couple, couple of mates and you can play and it's, it's free. Um, just put the ball back in the locker when you leave because the ball will still be in the locker when you come back next time. Uh, it's floodlit, so you can play in the evenings. We've seen people play uh, even on really cold days in Iowa. We are seeing the mini pitches being utilized. So great system, great partnerships, Moscow Lighting, Pro Iowa, Kick It Forward. I think doing great things for underserved communities, grassroots football, and just raising awareness for the game across all levels of the game, not just the pay-to-play model. How can we encourage more young athletes to get out on the mini pitch more? I think one is, is, is social media. Um, the things that you're doing right now through your podcast is making people more aware of where these opportunities are, uh, putting more mini pitches down. And that is our ambition is to continue putting pitches in areas where kids want to play. We're exploring um, a number of new areas. Um, there's, there's some opportunities coming up in Detroit and Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. and Miami and Cleveland, Ohio. So, so we hope to expand our footprint a little bit through Musco and through Kick It Forward. And just our job really is to continue to push the game at grassroots level and continue to help those people in underserved communities to be able to have access to playing the beautiful game. Do coaches like you appreciate players who do pick up games and get things started? I love that. That's, that's my favorite. Um, it's very easy for us to go to these um, well-organized, administered refereed tournaments all of the time. But, you know, where did Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, where did they learn to do some of the things that have made them the greatest players in the world, probably on the streets in Buenos Aires and on the island of Madeira. So for me, the pickup games, there's nobody telling you off for playing the ball square across your goal. There's nobody telling you off for trying a nutmeg on the edge of your 18-yard box. You are figuring out that if you fail with a nutmeg on the edge of your 18-yard box, it's prob you're probably going to concede a goal. So you as a player are developing your IQ in a natural environment where you don't have parents shouting booted and you don't have coaches telling you off and you don't have coaches saying, get rid of it. So pickup games for me is, is the most pure form of how to learn the game. Sometimes there may be a fear factor to step up and lead or maybe start a pickup game. How can we beat this? I used to get some mates and we would, we would take off our uh, jumpers and throw them down and they would be the goalposts. Um, and we would play on the streets until the streetlights went out. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of people who would say, oh, yeah, that old story, you know, what it used to be like. Um, but it worked. It produced a lot of good players in, in those eras. And I think that if we could get back to an environment where we had um, – players willing to go out and just gather up a few mates 
And this is where the mini pitch comes in. If we can drop more and more and more mini pitches into local communities, it provides a setting and an environment where kids are not afraid to just go out and, you know, playing in the streets these, these days is probably a no-no, but playing on a mini pitch system is easy and accessible because if we achieve our aim, which is putting as many as we can in local parks, that means local communities, that means accessible, that means walking distance. I know you've also supported Des Moines Menace quite a bit. Can you talk, and bringing Sacred Iowa, can you talk a little bit more about what you've done to support, like li- what you've done to support semi-pro teams? I, th- I think um, I think bringing, you know, a long time ago, developing the game, 20 years ago, developing the game in Iowa, um, w- was something a lot of people got behind and were working really hard to do. And there was a little bit of pushback from some of the youth clubs when the Des Moines Menace started to go into the youth game because they made themselves competition for other youth clubs. So I think there was a little to and fro going back a number of years. But I think what the, the Menace and Pro Iowa is doing today and moving forward is really trying to promote a different level of the game in Iowa. And they have stepped back from trying to compete with the youth clubs. And they are really taking on the mantle of being the top club, the pro club, uh, and the pinnacle of the, the player development pyramid in Iowa. And for that, you know, they get my full support uh, right behind them and uh, you know, with Kick It Forward, we have a great partnership with Pro Iowa. We want that to flourish and continue and hopefully be a part of their future. We've talked a lot about the growth of this sport. What can we do just sitting at home to help grow the sport where we are? Well, when we sit at home, we tend to be on our computer or our phone. Uh, so we can we can certainly use social media to impart put, positive messaging. Um, We can certainly uh, tell positive stories. I, you know, what we can refrain from doing is, is just criticizing people who are out there trying to do things. And, you know, with kick it forward, sometimes we do get some criticism because maybe, maybe clubs and individuals see us as competition as trying to, to take the limelight or take their players. That's, that's not what we're about. So if people just, have a little more tolerance for those people who are trying to help the game in all forms and, and, and tell positive stories versus the other side of social media, which is just looking at things peripherally and then making comments to, you know, negatively about what people are trying to do. Let's all get together. Uh, you know, the game is about a team. So let's be a team as a community and, and push this game as far as we need to. If a high school athlete is doing things on social media, like posting rude or hurtful comments or posts, can you see that when you're trying to recruit? Not only can I see that, but many hundreds of other uh, college coaches and high school coaches can see those things. And not just the athlete, we can also see what the parents uh, are, are are posting as well and making comments about. So, you know, holistically for me, I recruit the player, the, the person first, the student second and the player third. Um, so if, if there's a talented player who is 
making derogatory posts on social media, uh, it, no matter how, how good the talent is, that that's going to be a turnoff for me because that player is bringing unwanted baggage to our culture. Uh, and maybe those parents are bringing unwanted baggage to our culture. And that's something we can certainly do without. While being recruited, what are ways people can stand out and maybe be a little bit different in a positive way? I think personalizing your communication is, is massive. Um, I did receive an email the other day from a young lady who had a perfectly well-written email and told me all about herself. Um, but I was one of 32 coaches who was copied on the email. Um, so when she said, hey, I've read a lot about your program and I'm very impressed by, by what your school has to offer, I was wondering which one of the 38 schools she was referring to. So personalizing your communication, uh, dear, dear Coach White, Aussie, you know, whatever that turns out to be to personalize it, I see that the Yellow Jackets did this, this, and this this season. Just do a little personal research on the program that you're writing to, communicating with. And here's the other thing. When you receive communication from a coach, respond. Even if you respond, hey, coach, thanks for the communication. I'm not interested in your program. That's great. We'll all move on. But when there's no response, that takes time and it takes effort on our part to reach out maybe another couple of times for you to just ignore us. So never ignore a coach, never burn a bridge. Uh, the football world is very small. When we attend the national convention here in a few weeks, uh, coaches talk. And when coaches say, hey, that Anna Churi, she, she really reached out to me personally and she's a great person, or that Anna Churi, she didn't respond to me. That goes a long way with coaches. And coaches, coaches speak to each other. So the football world is very small. So make sure that you personalize things and make sure that you respond. I think this is a great place to start and wrap up. I have one question which I ask each guest. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? I hope that for three things. I hope that they think that they learned something from me. I hope that they think that I made them work hard to achieve something. And above all, I hope that I made the game fun for them to play competitively and for the rest of their lives, in their lives. One of the great, great measurements, barometers for me is when a player moves on, are we still friends when they're 30? Do I get invited to their wedding? Um, do they bring their firstborn to come and see me and say hello? They're, they are wonderful barometers for coaches because that means that I coached you for a short period, but we can be friends for life. Thank you so much for joining me today. Anna, my pleasure and I'm very proud of your achievements and hope to see you soon at the convention. Yeah, I'm excited to be back in person and reunited. There you go. Reunited. That's a great word for the United Soccer Coaches, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to Ozzy about his team. He talks about having such a diverse roster, 
with different players that have different ambitions and how he helps them achieve that. And that's really interesting. He has a great team atmosphere and he talks about the importance of holding them accountable, but he also gives them some wiggle room and he allows them to have fun with the game. I also really enjoyed talking about the social media aspect. I don't think many kids my age realize how important social media is when you want to be recruited or you're looking to play a collegiate sport. And that's something very important. Coaches can see almost everything you put out. And I wish more people my age knew that. So hopefully I can help my teammates at least realize that, that if they want to play the next level, that's very important. Next episode will hopefully be live from United Soccer Coaches Convention. Until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful.